Hello and welcome to Composerscape. This is our Marvel episode. The last episode we talked with Zack Snyder's Justice League and DC Comics and in this one we are we are going to talk about the first two episodes of Falcon and Winter Soldier um, mm -hmm. and, and just being that we're us we'll definitely it'll definitely be spoiler heavy and we will see how it's potentially connecting to the MCU world at large and then we are going to do our first book club segment and we'll talk about the first half of House of M. Wow, I didn't know that was going to be so hard to say. But here we go. Assemble. Assemble. All right. Falcon and Winter Soldier, that's what we're going to start with. Um, yeah, Disney, Marvel, Disney just does not disappoint. Um, and that's obviously my opinion. Of course, I'm sure people would disagree with that. You're out there leaving nasty comments on the internet. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, the quality of these Marvel Cinematic Universe shows produced for the Disney Plus platform are just right on par with the movies. And I'm sure a lot of that is the budget, the directing, um, the, the people they have producing these shows are every bit on par with with any major film production. Yeah, and they, I think WandaVision the, was $150 million, so that's like the movie yeah, budget. Right. Um, and I think I mentioned this maybe at the tail end of our previous episode where we talked about Justice League. Uh, was it Kevin Feige? Who, who was one of the uh, producers basically said that their vision, no pun intended, for the Falcon and Winter Soldier show was to have a very cinematic quality that each of these episodes needs to feel like a, an arc or a, an act of one of the major films. And so far, they're spot on. Um, yeah. We haven't talked about this show yet. We're two episodes into the season at this point. And so far, the first two episodes, you could watch them seamlessly, right? If you could uh, squeeze them together and cut out the, you know, opening credits of the second episode, you could just watch the whole thing from start to finish. And you'd have what feels like, you know, the first film of a trilogy of, you know, yeah, I was 90, thinking that too because I remember the first episode it was good. But once I watched the second episode, it's like, ah, now, okay. The first episode seemed very much set up, mm -hmm. and they almost sure. should have dropped the first two episodes at once. Yeah, I think, they, yeah, did they do that for Wandavision? That would have been that would have been good, but I, I don't think yeah. it it hurt their numbers. So, um, yeah, yeah. well, yeah, well, after watching the second episode, that's like wow. Obviously, there's a a huge component of this story that is the gaping hole that Steve Rogers left in the lives of his best friends. And I, I think a lot of the just emotional tension and the drama, which has created some really good kind of humor and sarcasm um, going between Sebastian Shaw and um, Lord, I need another cup of coffee. Um, you, um, Falcon, Winter Soldier, <laughs> Anthony Mackie. Anthony, Anthony Mackie. Wow. Like the sound company. <laughs> anyway, you've got some really good chemistry between these two guys that what is uh, what I kept thinking of is there was likely a moment during the filming and the writing of Civil War where these yeah, two. Yeah, had been because they weren't on screen. I was thinking the same thing. Well, <laughs> they had some moments on screen where Steve is. Uh, you know, basically on the run and he goes and meets up with um, Agent Carter, gets his shield back and they're hanging out in the car. Just talking, move yeah. the seat up. No, move over. I hate you. Right. Just he's kind of, <laughs> yeah, um, and, and it's got this very tongue in cheek, sarcastic kind of buddy cop vibe to it. But they're definitely, uh, I think the common ground here is that they both just feel like they were robbed of someone who was uh, one of their best friends. And not only that, but what is most poignant in the appearance of someone trying to take his place, the feeling of, 
you know, the world needs Captain America, right? The world needs the real Captain America, right? We need Steve back and, and he's gone and nothing anybody mm-hmm. can do can replace it. And I feel like that's, that's the, that's the core of this story. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I was wondering in that second episode one, I was going to mention that I was very happy that they didn't drag out getting those two together. I, yeah. I was a little worried after the first episode that it's like, wow, they're not going to get together until the series is half over. But then like yeah. the second episode, he, Bucky just shows up. <laughs> it's like, yeah. hi. Um, but they kept talking about Steve as if he's dead. Yeah. And I guess we don't know that for a fact, but I yeah. think it's what's probably implicit. Maybe I'm making a huge assumption here. Who knows? Maybe he turns up later, but um, is that he lived his life, came back at the end. And he's, he's old, right. And just wants to disappear. And it's, it's possible. They just let him walk away and nobody knows where he is. Right. That's entirely possible. Um, since Steve essentially got a redo somehow, and let's not even get into the, the logistics and the pot, right. All of the mind bending possibilities. there. like, he's, so he went back in time and he fixed everything and then he stayed back in time. So are we in an alternate timeline now? Or did, did he exist in an alternate timeline in this, right? The whole idea of a multiverse and, Time I mean, they've travel, already killed Thanos right? in an alternate timeline. Well, so, yeah, I mean, you just you'll tie your brain into knots trying to figure out exactly how that how all that works, right? So, um, I think in its most simplest form, if you really want to have a discussion about time travel and if two people, if one person can exist simultaneously in the same reality during the same time, it's possible that Steve went back in time and was alive and essentially in hiding watching himself on the news, you know, do all the stuff he did for the last, you know, 10, 15 years living in a cabin up in Colorado or somewhere. Right. He's Captain Rogers, right. Captain America still existed. Steve's old Steve hanging out somewhere remembering all of the stuff that he did as it's coming on the evening news and the Avengers save New York city. Right. He's watching it all happen because it already happened for him anyway. Well, that would mean at one point there were three Steve's in the world. Oh, you're right. Okay. Stop. So yeah, they have no problem with that. You could occupy the same space and even touch (laughs) each other. Unlike back to the future. So, right. Um, so, um, You've got Falcon, right? Anthony Mackie's character, um, Sam, is continuing to work as some kind of covert government operative. We have no idea what agency he's working for. Obviously, S.H.I.E.L.D. doesn't really exist in its old form. Maybe it's the, um, you know, it, who knows? It's, it's the CIA, if it's the Department of Defense. Somebody is sending him on missions. He's got this guy that's his handler. Right, that's I kind the of impression after the second episode that he was a his, free agent, right? Team, kind of what he says. That he he's running on his he's like uh his he's like Batman. He's got his yeah. team of people working with him or something. But he's right. because it, they they kind of said at the end of the the episode, uh, Bucky was saying to um new Captain America to John Walker, or I think yeah. was his name. Like yeah, yeah, he's like you you have rules of engagement and we don't that's right so that makes, right that makes me wonder maybe they are just working on their own and maybe that guy is just on maybe. his personal team i mean it's maybe it's some kind of black ops sort of team budget Falcon. you know it's sort of way under the radar somewhere right i mean it's um they're getting on dc-10s and these transport carriers and military bases and stuff someone that's has true. to know what they're doing but you know it's probably like way hush hush under the table you know, black ops kind of stuff. And they're just sending him into areas that, you know, no, they can't send a SEAL team or someone into because, and that brings up a whole other topic that I don't want to necessarily get too far off in a rabbit hole with this, but um, I think most of the Falcons tech is a lot of that stuff is Stark tech. Yep. And this is something that I feel like there's a little bit of a hole here that they're going to have to 
somehow the writers are going to have to, it's possible they'll just ignore it and write around it, right? And just assume they'll just move forward and everyone just assumes this technology exists. It's in the world. And even though Tony invented it, there are other people who maybe worked under him or have come along and know how to work with this technology and continue to make it possibly. But there's a lot of uh, the Red Wing drone, right? Yeah, you've got the Wakandans, obviously. Um, But, you know, this crazy, like ultra far advanced tech, you know, who's who's maintaining that stuff? You know, where's that well, that just opens from, the but... door to bring in more sci- – well, Hank Pym is still out there. He got True. blipped. Um, yeah. And he'd um, be able to figure out Stark's tech pretty easily. He worked with his maybe. father. He's not really in the weapons business, though, right? Right. Um, anyway, that's, that's a whole rabbit hole. It's something that I think of occasionally that – not a plot hole necessarily, but there's just a void. There's something left there that I feel like at some point there's a writer. There's an opportunity for someone to either through the films or the shows to just maybe even mention or try to address. I don't know. I digress. Talking about Falcon and Winter Soldier, um, the action. Well, no, I mean, fan- and how it connects. So that, that works yeah. as well. So Sure. Well, I think I do have to bring up in the pacing- first episode, it was pointed out that Anthony Mackie was like hurting for money. And then they were yeah. like, you get paid a lot, right? And he's like, no, the Avengers. We didn't and then almost immediately, yeah. like the, next, the day before, Justice League, it just came out and Bruce Wayne is, you know, buying Clark, buying a bank to get Clark's yeah. farm out of foreclosure, right? So, yeah. so everyone's like, so Bruce Wayne is obviously going to help the Justice League out monetarily. Tony Stark just is like, well, F them. <laughs> they, well, they could get a job. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, there's a whole kind of questions. You get asked there. And what's funny. Maybe it's Pepper. <laughs> I mean, there's a little bit of a precedent for that in the, in the comics. Um, and when I say I, there's a precedent for the fact that Avengers, they do make some kind of salary. And you and I were talking about uh, Brian Michael Bendis um, in, in reading the House of M and, and getting interested in some of uh, his other work. And he did a run with Avengers comics. And um, if I'm not mistaken, the story arc that he worked on there opens with this uh, scene where Tony is trying to rebuild an Avengers team after um, I can't remember what precedes that um, in, in the in the story in the canon, but he's putting the team back together and he approaches Peter Parker, right, and is basically asking you know all of these different heroes that want you know one time Avengers, are you interested? We're trying to put something back together. And I think there's this scene where Peter says, you know, is there money? And Tony says, well, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yes, of course. It, and Peter's money. like, that's all you needed to say. <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> there's a paycheck. Thank you. Um, so I, I was going to say, I feel like the, the action and the pay, everything in Soccer and Winter Soldier is just unbelievably good. It's just the opening sequence of the first episode this aerial combat scene of him flying around, you really get to see Falcon do his thing in a way oh, yeah, that I don't feel like you got to see to in a way you didn't get to see in the, in the movies. You got to see him to do some in, in the films, but this was a whole sequence, like a five, eight minute long sequence of Falcon just being a complete you know, badass in yeah, the I air. I think his wings got upgraded. He got Maybe. a pretty good scene in uh, Ant-Man. Yeah. He, oh, that's he true. Fought, uh, yeah. But yeah, his, but I feel like since his first appearance till now, maybe noticeable in an Infinity War, his wings have progressively gotten more maneuverable. Like in the yeah. second episode, he he gets knocked off the uh, top of the uh, semi and just like yeah. zips and then comes down and he's doing all these crazy mm-hmm. like stops and quicks and yeah. all of these things. And so I feel like and it's some a of lot. That just- some of that could just be training, right? Yeah. Like he, he, he's an Avenger and suddenly they, you know, putting him through all this training and stuff to like, he's, he's got to stay alive. Yeah. I feel like him and uh, uh, this John Walker character are uh, these very uh, Bruce Wayne type humans who have oh, peak exceptional training. reflexes and strength and yeah. um, they can just think a millisecond faster than a regular person. Cause you saw, they showed the John Walker training scene and he's throwing that shield as if he does have super strength, but he doesn't. That so that's surprised it. me. 
And it won't surprise me in the, I, yeah, I don't know. That that surprised me a little bit because I, I get super nerdy here, folks. Let's just go in there. We've already talked about time travel and now we've talked about Stark Tech. Let's just go ahead and talk about super soldiers and superhuman strength and reflexes. Um, we have no idea. Out. We have no idea how heavy vibranium is. And for all we know, it's much like titanium, which means it has very great tensile strength without the density of steel and mithril. iron, right? I think it's right. based on mithril from and Lord of the Rings. It could be. So it would be very um, light. And so is there some sort of gauntlet or bracelet or something like that that, that Steve wears? There's some sort of fitting that goes along with the shield that is magnetic, that allows the shield to return to its wear, right? Because um, I think Peter it's a Parker, another shield that you can throw it and it comes back. Well, not magic. It's not Mjolnir, right? And Peter, no, no, no. It's, makes no, it's, it's, it's uh, the way it's aerodynamically designed. It like it can work like a boomerang, but also okay. it seems to be a skill because whenever Steve is throwing the shield and it comes back, it's because it's ricocheting off things to sure. come back to it. Of course. And he just is able to think so quickly. And that's yeah. what's interesting is, is apparently this John Walker guy can as well. Well, um, Spider-Man actually makes the comment in Civil War, like, that thing does not obey the laws of physics. Right. What the hell? Um, <laughs> anyway, so we see this scene of um, the new Captain America throwing it, and it's the Good Morning America sequence. They're showing these videos of him training, and like, he's so awesome, and he's throwing the shield at these target dummies and just nailing him and it's coming right back and we get a little glimpse of that while he's fighting these um sort of freedom fighter supposed super soldiers on top of the semis where he's throwing it around it's coming it back yeah. and then he throws it on the ground to save his buddy right throws the shield down to the ground and catches him as he's falling yeah, those, off like, the Batman semi there. yeah um so clearly the guy is um just a top-notch peak human conditioning peak humans but uh again i think the point i was trying to make there is like the whole deal with vibranium um is someone who isn't enhanced capable of throwing the shield around like that and i guess right now we're just left with the assumption of yeah it's, apparently it's you well, know it's something that anyone can do trying to learn how to do it yeah and he could hurl it fast but it just bounces off trees and falls <laughs> right and maybe it's practice like you said it's a skill you have to learn how to do it um, well, he throws the shield in that scene, and I remember thinking this, the new Captain America, he throws the shield down on the ground and saves his buddy and then turns around and he's face to face with all these super soldiers. And in my mind, I'm thinking, so he's lost the shield. Now he's just a guy. Yeah. And that, that ended exactly how I expected it to. Yeah. He's, he it, talks big and like, that was a big mistake. And they were probably like, well, yeah. And then they, poof. yeah, <laughs> right. So, and then the, uh, and then it gets into comic book. It's like, you just got punched by someone who's super strength and it didn't cave your chest in. Congratulations. And so this is a really good moment to point out, getting back to what I feel like is the core of this story. Bucky is, he's really emotional and conflicted. He's still dealing with a lot. You know, we open up with this scene. He's seeing a therapist and still trying to process all of this death and the assassinations and all of this stuff he was forced to do earlier years and he's trying to process the loss of steve and he comes face to face with that because you got this new what he feels like is this schmuck right this schlub that's just walking around in the costume and carrying steve's shield and he resents that and he's got these rules of engagement right that he's working on like i'm not supposed to hurt anybody i'm not supposed to do anything illegal Right. I'm supposed to be apologizing and kind of making amends like it's a self 12 step program. And so I feel like you get this. This atmosphere during this fight scene on the semis with these super soldiers where he is restrained, he is holding back because if he basically allowed himself to just go full on winter soldier mode, I feel like he could have mopped the floor with a few of those guys, at least, even though they were outnumbered. Probably yeah, but it would have the killed them, and that's the problem. Yeah, he wasn't trained exactly. the same way Bruce Wayne was to fight, right. where Bruce yeah. can beat those dudes' ass yeah. without hurt, without... He would send him to a hospital, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and put him in traction, but no, Bucky would... He he only knows lethal combat at this that's point. That's right. 
And so I feel like that was a significant kind of takeaway from that whole fight scene. They got their asses kicked, not because they were outnumbered, but because they were exercising some restraint. They didn't know what they were up against. The fact that these guys were super soldiers took them off guard by surprise, right? Initially, they thought the girl in the semi was a hostage, which was a really dumb assumption to make. I, I thought, like, why would you, why would you assume right. that? They and, yeah. and then you've got Bucky, who's basically kind of emotionally compromised, and he's holding back. He's like, I'm not supposed to murder anybody any longer, so I can't really go all out with these guys. And he ends up sort of trapped on the bottom of the semi. Although I did crack up at one point because he was holding on to the edge of the truck and one of the super soldiers was trying to jam his feet down, try to knock his fingers off. I'm like, his hand is made out of vibranium. Yeah. He may not even be able to feel that. You're wasting your <laughs> right? time. Anyway. Um, I was wondering if the, the girl who's the leader of the, um, the super soldier team looked very familiar. Was she in? Um, yes. Saw Solo? her recently. Yes. She was one of the uh, rebel the freedom fighters the... in Solo. Yep. So I can't remember the name of the group. I can't either. But they were essentially a precursor to the to the rebellion. Yeah. Yep. There it is. Yep. She was oh, yep. in Thieves Nest. Yeah. Um, what is? Name. Yeah. And and what is in that movie? The the seed group, right? The sort of group that gave birth to um, the Rebel Alliance mm-hmm. in Solo. Wow. See, folks. Stick around long enough. We're going to talk about Star Wars. Oh yeah, we we it's unfortunately we started the show after the Mandalorian had wrapped up. But yeah. <laughs> and um, the one thing I will talk about one little Star Wars snippet. Solo is still one of the best of all the new movies and possibly the most underrated Star Wars film of all of them. I agree. Of- um, I have deep appreciation for Solo and for Rogue One. And if you haven't ever watched Solo. Rogue One, and then Episode Four: A New Hope, in that order. Yes, you've done yourself a disservice. Um, There is Mm -hmm. an incredible poignance and sort of emotional kind of effect. Something very powerful about watching Rogue One in that end scene, which takes place on these Corellian ships. All the white and Darth Vader comes in, kills, and then you immediately watch episode four. Yes, yeah, you can't like wait a day. You need to like, st- I've done yeah. that where you like take one day and like, I'm watching yeah. the two together. But, but anyway, so back to Falcon and Winter Soldier. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all Disney. They'll be happy. We talked sure. about them all. Um, yeah, it's really, uh, it's really interesting. And then I liked the part where um, in their uh, impromptu therapy session, when, when he was forced, when uh, Bucky was forced to to call out Sam for the shield thing and then like hurt Sam's feelings. And then he's, he's walking out. He's like, what was rule number two again? <laughs> yep. Like, Don't hurt anyone. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I could see it's, it's good. It's definitely got that buddy cop field. Now, is it the uh, Darcy and uh, detective <laughs> woo buddy cop show? We all want no, but it'll be, <laughs> it, it, it's really good. Yeah. Um, some other plot details, things that I think they're mentioning, and we won't spend all day talking about Falcon and Winter Soldier. It's probably not going to be a super long episode. Um, right. So we have elements of Hydra that, that continue to linger. And I think we knew this um, from the beginning, from the trailers and from the cast, obviously, that um, Baron Zemo got oh, to yeah. see his face there at the end of the episode. And apparently they are going to go. I'm going to go find him. Oh, Baron Zemo. He's going to be in costume and everything. So uh, we are definitely going to get a, a an appearance, a strong representation of, of Baron Zemo, who was clearly a major figure in Civil War, but we never got to see the sort of comic book version. Kind of say, you know, it was more of a, you know, here's a, a, a grieving uh, sort of an ex ex special forces European military guy who's grieving and just sort of pulling strings like you know puppeteer we saw his war story yeah but right. he never became baron zemo but now he's gonna, he may be at least part of the next big threat in the yeah. mcu i feel um so long as they don't make him look like Mushmouth, um some fat albert baron zemo always thought he's got this basically purple toboggan on his cut little eye holes in there just make him look like female. yeah well there's Sorry. something it's probably going to be a prefab though not like 
right. a cut. Right. But sure. yeah, they show it in the credits at the end. Oh, I must have missed that. It's it's like kind of all stylized. Yeah. And speaking of other characters that we are likely going to see in the show, I'm fairly sure that this is confirmed, right? She's in the cast. Um, uh, Agent Carter, I believe, is yes. going to make it. Yes, appearance. as a matter of fact, they show her in the credits as well. Right. So they're not trying to hide it. So we've got some major players that are going to make an appearance again. Um, I think, you know, let's kind of tinfoil hat it here in a, in a manner of speaking, maybe make some predictions. I think everyone is expecting that I got two or three things here. Let's just kind of list them off. Is the new Captain America above board? Is he legit? Is he some kind of Hydra? Is is he a sleeper agent, some kind of Manchurian candidate that's going to snap at one point and he's going to end up being a villain? Um, Is Sam going to end up with the shield and become the new Captain America? Right. Which, you know, essentially is what you do get from. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Okay, I apparently missed that promo. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think it's bad. That that artwork. No, no, it's good. Um, In the comics, there are no eye holes. It looks like he has a bag over his head. Well, that's the comics. Right. Um, Sharon Carter. Mm-hmm. Um, what is her role going to be in this? And will we ever see, this is a big question that I've had for a while. So there is a television show called Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. where oh, yeah. we got Coulson came back and that ties into the inhuman story where you've got a couple of the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents that are, you know, inhumans that got exposed to carriage and mess and they have superpowers. Um, the character that plays Quake. Um, and some other elements of that. So according to that show, and I've never heard or read any confirmation of this, is that at all considered canon with the MCU? Yeah, I've heard they kind of moved away from S.H.I.E.L.D. being canon. Because I've wondered for some time now, are we going to see a resurgence or a return of S.H.I.E.L.D. in some form? Now we get sword thanks to alien invasions, Thanos, and now mm-hmm. WandaVision, and we see this, you know, S.W.O.R.D. has apparently got a much larger kind of presence in in the established MCU now. We see that, but is S.H.I.E.L.D. ever going to be a thing? Well, I guess we'll, if anything will tell us, this series will. Right. And Especially if they're bringing in Agent Carters. Last but not least... Um, Steve Rogers was not the only successful super soldier um, patient candidate. There are more. Is he a character from the comics or is this a new character? I have no idea. I didn't actually do any research on that. I'm not sure. And according to according to Bucky, if I'm not mistaken, this uh, conversation he has with um, Sam, he was Hydra. Or he was working for the U.S. government and was yeah, he probably was a good guy, and Bucky but, was Hydra, right? So, what's that going to lead to? And kind of opens the door there. Now, obviously, we know that the Winter Soldier was not the only that there was some some failed experiments with the um, the Soviet um, super soldier program because they just couldn't be controlled and they were just sort of murder machines ended up killing the scientists that were that were working with them, right? We got that scene in Civil War, and they're all dead. But obviously there's some more wandering around in the world. Yeah, I get the feeling what it comes down to is the government never told – I mean, the only ones that would know about super soldiers would be Bucky and, and Steve Rogers and S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. And – whatever further was done with it. And, you know, maybe it'll bring back um, the uh, end of the Hulk, the incredible Hulk movie um, where that's what they were trying to do there. Maybe. Oh, sure. From their experiments on um, monster yeah, guy, yeah. they, they figured out more. I don't know. Yeah. But even then that's after Korea, long after Korea. So, well, we get this band of freedom fighters who have obviously been enhanced somehow. 
And we don't know if that's a super soldier serum. We don't know if it's some kind of, I mean, the, the door's wide open because it's MCU, right? It could be some kind of magic artifact. It could be some kind of technology. It could be, right? We don't know that they're enhanced with super soldier form, but they, they keep referring to them after seeing them in action. Bucky and Sam are both convinced like these people are super soldiers, right? Look at their, they're incredibly strong and fast and durable. Um, they move and, and, and can fight like Steve, like Bucky did. So, um, we'll see. Does this open the door for other possible, possibly heroes to get their hands right. on some of this stuff to get, to get enhanced? I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Um, it makes me wonder if the next cap is going to get the super soldier serum because in the comics, well, it may work that a regular person can be Captain America, but I'm not so sure that the movies that your standard non-comic book reader fans will be like, well, I don't see this this John Walker or or even um, Sam Falcon being able to, like, lift Mjolnir or, right. you know, hurl um, vehicles around, motorcycles around and stuff like that. And then that's kind of what Captain America is to the regular people. He's a super strong, super fast, yeah. super soldier. Definitely superhuman. Um, I don't disagree with that. With the one caveat that I think most of us are making a pretty big assumption here with this show and the way that the story has worked out so far, that they are taking a large cue from the comics where Sam Wilson becomes the new Captain America. He is still found. he's, He's got the wings. He's got the tech. Right, all training and all that stuff, and to my knowledge, he is not physically enhanced. He does not have superhuman anything other than all this technology, and he inherits the shield and takes up the mantle and becomes the new Captain America. He's yep. basically Falcon with the shield and a new paint job. They could still surprise though. True. Um, yeah, I don't. Bucky's the new Captain America. <laughs> yeah, and for a time, or he John was. Um, Bucky, there was a period of time, if I'm not mistaken, sometime in the late 80s and the 90s, where Steve was missing out of commission, one of those periods of time where Steve couldn't be Captain America, and James Buchanan took up the mantle and became Captain America. Um, there's also this other character that exists called U.S. Agent. Yeah, I think that's who the Marvel Walker was. Possibly. Right. And it's possible that that's kind of they're taking a lot of cues from the comics at the same time that the Marvel Universe, the cinematic universe has never been beholden to to the comics. Right. There's um, they, they've True. shown a lot of um, they, they've shown a, a, a lot of you know, what's the word I'm looking for. Um, they're very faithful. Right. And they um, they they definitely hold the the comics and the storylines and the origins of the characters. They are very high regard and they take many of their cues from the comics. But at the same time, they're not tied down. Um, And there's a lot of examples of that. I mean, the vision as a character is a perfect example of this. His origins and his creation and, and how he came to be is quite different in the MCU compared to the comics In the comics. He was created by Hank Pym. Um, yep. And so there's no relationship there. And he was just the Mind Stone was not part of his physiology, part right. of his programming or anything like that in the comics. So mm-hmm. um, anyway, we're doing a lot of speculation here. There's lots of the show left. Yep. Looking forward to it. Among all the million other things happening this month. Um, I right. think this might tie into Black Widow, but we can talk about that as it progresses and we'll see. Yeah. Um, well, correct me if I'm wrong. Black Widow is a flashback. Well, yeah, it's got to be. She dead. Right. <laughs> and has a cold so war element. To this? I don't know. Right. You're going to get the, the Red Guardian and Yelena um, Belova, Beloff. Whatever her name is, and she's one of the other Red Room agents, and so you're going to get this Soviet sort of Cold War era um, theme in that film. I don't know anything about the story; I just know the characters that are in it. And the Red Guardian is this character that is a sort of Soviet Captain America, right? He's oh, that's like, so ca- funny with the uh, Captain Russia. Things. That's right. It's going to be great. Yeah. All um, right, so let's pause and then do the book club. Yeah. All right. 
right We will back. return after a word from our sponsors. do our new book club and we're going to talk about uh house of m probably mm -hmm. over the next few weeks yeah. um I, have... I feel like this is something that was at least partially inspired by wandavision um because this is a story fairly famous story arc in the comics uh that i, I could be mistaken here. And I'd love to read something by or hear an interview with them um, from the writers, um, the folks who put together WandaVision, if this was, in fact, something that they took a large cue from. Well, I mean, it because, to be. Yeah, uh, because this is um, in the past when episodes we talked about WandaVision and we talked about the fact that Wanda is debatably one of the most scary, powerful characters in the Marvel Universe, because she can literally warp and change reality mm -hmm. is what you get in the WandaVision show is her ability to just change reality on a fairly large scale. And that's, that's what you have in house of M. It is essentially a story where Wanda snaps and is grieving and is so desperate to change the world into a way in which she wants it to be that she starts doing so possibly on an even unconscious level it's possible yeah, that's the impression i got from that first issue that yeah. the professor was like having to convince her that like it yeah. wasn't real this isn't real and that's what you see in the opening of this story is wanda giving birth and you've got um, several characters kind of gathered around the bedside there and uh, dr strange was apparently present to sort of you know, um, as as a good physician to give birth to the twins. And Magneto's there and Vision, Dad is there and it's twins and everyone's happy and it's a glorious day and everything's just sort of roses and, and happiness. And uh, Professor X shows up, wheels into the picture and points out to Wanda, this isn't actually happening. This isn't real, right? And everybody starts getting upset and everybody's angry and she's crying, she's bawling. And then the whole thing, you know, shatters and get the impression that Professor X is having to exert a tremendous psychic influence on her to try to get through to her rational mind and try to connect a couple of dots there. And then, and we're also given the impression that this is not the first time that this has happened. Right. And yeah, both, he uh, throws on his Lex Luthor face to get this pulled off here. Yeah. Um, and this is in the wake of a previous story where she suffers a loss of control and reality, reality altering powers, right? They give this kind of synopsis, um, there that sort of sets the whole thing up where Wanda was essentially responsible for the deaths of several Avengers, including Ant-Man, the vision, um, some other people that, that get um, seriously hurt by this. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, Hawkeye. I think Hawkeye. Yeah, well, yeah actually, dead. that was the, the issue where I made it that, that she had killed Hawkeye was one of the people that was killed. Yeah. So the beginning opening act of this is a lot of, frankly, it's just depressing. It's a lot of sadness. Um, you've got Magneto still hanging around in the ruins of Genosha. Yes. What is Genosha for Genosha? For is an island nation and what's interesting here is i think genosha is a real is it a real island i don't know but it's definitely out. a planet where they manufacture the droid armies no. i think that's uh gia nos i think, oh, I think it's pronounced no. different yeah um <laughs> yeah so it is i think it is fictional i thought it was an actual island uh, right, but it is fictional, apparently, off the coast of southeastern Africa, right, sort of in the in the neighborhood of Madagascar, um, oh. and in the fictional biography of Genosha, this is just huge setup. This is actually stuff that's not even really that important necessarily to House of M, although it's good to have some background on the setting. 
um, for where a lot of House of M takes place. Genosha is this island nation that has a long history of enslaving mutants um, uh. of, of the human population there, um, putting mutants into slave labor, slave camps. And um, when Magneto, at one point in the comics continuity, finally makes his move and wants to establish a country, right, an independent sovereign nation just for mutants, where he can get recognized by the United Nations. He can create, like, let's go through official channels here and let's set it up. And they could basically go in. He goes into Genosha and just cleans house and, and says, you know, what you all have done here are just crimes against um, mutant kind and humanity in general. And you guys just deserve to die. And just goes in, takes over, and manages to set up a sovereign nation. And as you can imagine, as is the a typical story arc with uh, mutants in the Marvel comics, um, the creators of the Sentinels, all of the, the anti-mutant contingency in the world, um, this cabal of humans that would rather mutants just didn't exist, they unleash an attack on Genosa and just wipe it out. Well, yeah, it's, that explains uh, why I'm looking at the uh, nightmare yep. sequence here in Marvel. Yep. <laughs> that's right. And so you see Magneto is still hanging out there, and that's apparently where he's got his family kept and the scarlet witch is there and you've got this burnout husk of a city there where you see scenes of just destruction and everything yeah um and and that's basically what's happened you're seeing here possibly a year or longer in the wake of that attack right uh, where genosha's genosha is ruined i thought you were talking about the scarlet witch right okay so all of this has happened fairly recently within the last that's right in the fairly recent past um and so um, it's funny, in, in looking at the costumes and some of the artwork and how the characters are being drawn, and especially looking at the scene where um, the X-Men kind of make their appearance, this definitely coincides with the astonishing X-Men story arcs. You can tell by um, the Beast, Cyclops, um, Shadowcat, Wolverine, Emma Frost, right, this team is the Astonishing X-Men, which is, um, there's a Josh Whedon um, story arc, I'm pretty sure, that he wrote. Um, and it's it kind of diverged from Uncanny X-Men, but I digress. Um, the point here is just trying to set up the timeline, right? Like, when when is all of this happening? And so, it's very grim. And Yeah, uh, they have a, this big meeting at the, uh, they refer to it as right. the Avengers Mansion, and they, and they so, the X Men all show up to right. to deal with the Scarlet Witch problem. And you, you've got all of the Avengers there. You've got the extended cast, right? You've got basically the entire cast of the Avengers from the cinematic universe, like everybody's there. And you've got a couple of characters that we've still never seen in the Marvel in the MCU. Um, Wonder Man that we were talking about off off camera um, before we started recording. Um, now I, I remember all Sentinel, he is, so he's dating Miss Marvel, right? Yeah, I think the Sentinel is present, if that's who that is. Um, Sentinel, who is a really fascinating character in the Avengers continuity. We should definitely read that story arc sometime where you actually get introduced to the Sentinel. Um, so what's the purpose of the meeting? You get the impression that obviously Professor X has talked to Stephen Strange, someone else who has traditionally struggled to keep Wanda in check, I guess that's the, the best way to put it, both mm-hmm. to educate her and to try to teach her more responsible use of her power and, you know, the whole magic thing, which we've talked about in the past. And then Professor X obviously has had a lot of contact with Wanda over the years because she's a mutant. And they come together and say, I'm not really sure, but, you know, we got to do something about this. And the conversation takes an incredibly grim turn when you realize that euthanizing her right just putting her down is apparently on the table right which is shocking right you can't think about the ramifications here and in quicksilver you know we get into a whole conversation about how fast can he move is he as fast as the flash probably not but the guy can obviously move very very fast and he's fast enough to get into the room 
where they're talking and he eavesdrops and then speeds back to Genosha and breaks the news to Magneto. Yeah. See, I saw him show up. Oh, did they, I mean, I saw him in Genosha, but I don't, they did, they didn't actually show him doing that. No, 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 but it kind of comes up in the conversation, right? He basically zips into the frame and, and is breaking like, the news. Why would to that meeting? <laughs> well, I think it's obvious why. They're trying to get everyone who has at least who is at least impartial, as much as any of these people can be. And obviously, a lot right. of argument ensues, and you've got people on on one side of the table, namely the mutants, mostly the X Men, who are basically saying, "You've lost your flipping mind. There's no way you're you're talking about killing her." Right. Let's just go ahead and say it out loud. Right. There's no mm-hmm. way. And what's incredibly shocking is Quicksilver speeds back home to let their dad know they're talking about killing her. And Magneto's response to this, which is very shocking, is I know. Right. What can I do? Right. What what would you have me do? Because she's going to, you know, who knows what she's going to do next if they just let her go uncontrolled. She's going to knock the planet out of its orbit or God, what? Right. who knows, right? She's going to, she's going to destroy the world. Of course, Cap's against it. <laughs> of course he is. Of course. That really, yeah. that, 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 that just vibes this Captain America drawing to me, just vibes of the, the, the Liebfeld one. Yeah. Um, what's interesting is Dr. Strange, um, doesn't say one way or the other is he for or against you know just sort of killing him but you know he's obviously one of the people that everyone wants to know like is this is there nothing you can do and he says so far no i am still working on it yep. right it's, it's in so many words he's like give me more time um, right but hey, we, we also get the impression that he's just at the end of a rope right mm-hmm. like everything we've tried so far isn't working and professor x has and essentially you know he's tried at least 1.4 million things. <laughs> right. Um, Professor X is, we, we get the impression that at least once, multiple times probably, he has just put her like in a psychic coma. Right. And the, the, the idea there is like, I can't just keep her asleep for the rest of her life. Um, you know, from all practical standpoints, what's the difference between that and just killing her? Right. I can just keep her in a coma forever or we can just go ahead and decide to do this. Very, very grim. Right. Yeah. I'm actually interested so, to see. I haven't read this, how they do it. Well, well they don't. don't. <laughs> well, no, I know. I don't mean kill her. I meant get her out of this situation because, you know, she's not. Well, I mean, they could kill her. They kill people in comics all the time. They just bring them back. Well, you but you, um, you did say that you have read this far. This far, yes. Yes, I know so they don't they, kill her because she creates another physical or um, uh, fictional. Or is it that she converts the world to something else? Because yes. apparently the people are aware of themselves, <clears throat> Wolverine. Yes, right. So, so don't Saturday. let's let's not get let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Yeah. The entire alliance, the Avengers, all of the X Men, they all show up on Genosha. And not sure if they're just going to, if they, some, some of them have decided to just jump straight to, you know, we're just going to walk in and kill her. Clearly there's a large contingent of these people who feel like we're going to go in and talk to her, right? We're going to talk to Magneto. We're going to just, let's bring everybody to the table here and let's at least have a conversation. And they show up on Genosha. And this is the part that I'm not entirely clear on because they show up there looking for her and nobody's there and professor x who you can pretty much count on to be able to sense someone's presence right psychically he can feel minds he can and he's scanning the island and he says there's nobody here she's gone and so what i'm wondering is has has wanda already did she wake up and she knows that they're coming and she already began this process of like yeah, sort of unleashing the spell. And reality has already started to change. One to change. Right. Because everyone and suddenly so, stops talking to him. Yeah. 
and I, I, I definitely get the sense that it's a, um, it's his, um, his spider sense probably has something to do with that. Like he, if, if this was in film, if Zack Snyder filmed it, we would see about, you know, 30 seconds of slow motion here where yeah. um, Spider-Man is suddenly aware of like something's happening and I'm not sure what, and everybody's stopped and kind of fading out into shadows, right? The artwork all kind of changes and you get these strange panels and I'm, yeah. I constantly come back to this page and for those maybe reading this in the digital version, that's how I'm reading this anyway, via comicology, it's the digital sort of collected version of this is in page 26. Is this whole scene we're talking about and there's a door opening and you see empty hallways and kind of empty space and the shadows seem to be closing in around mm -hmm. Peter and his face. He's like peeking out from the edge of the frame and you get kind of the edge of his head, almost the sense of like he senses that something is coming and something's happening. And then what is possibly one of the more vivid images in this entire book, right? Which it's at, yeah, I'm just going to have to go ahead and say it. Pardon me if the, anyone's sensitive to the language here. What appears to be a vaginal birth. I'm <laughs> just going to yeah. go ahead and say it. You get this light oh, at the end of a tunnel. Be. And then yeah. Peter wakes up to the sound of a screaming baby. And he's it's a very cinematic. Someone, lady. It's a very cinematic transition that if someone made a movie out of this, this is a perfect transition where you get this tunnel with a light at the end of it. And Peter senses that he's moving into this other reality, sort of being birthed into this new reality, wakes up to the sound of a screaming baby and somewhere off screen, um, a woman, presumably a wife is saying, Peter, it's your turn, right? Go, go She's see right this there. screaming baby. And, and apparently this is um, not Mary Jane. No, that's um, not Mary. This is, Mary Jane's this a is famous Gwen. movie star, apparently. That's right. And so Peter married Gwen Stacy. There's a picture of them there on the bedside, right? Mary and Peter's waking up to go see about a baby. And that's the end, right, of that first arc, um, that first act. Yeah. And then and, was when WandaVision begins. <laughs> right. In a manner of speaking. So um, we wake up in act two. And it's a completely different, it's still Earth. Everything still seems to be, you know, there's, there's New York City. Everything's still there, right? But. Like everyone's a mutant. This, the world is filled with mutants. And Steve and Rogers is old. Steve Rogers is old. He never went Which in the ice. He never got frozen in ice. That's right. Um, so we have a lot of characters here. And so. The reasons for these things, and I don't want to spoil it necessarily. Um, if anybody's reading along with us in this, right, you're going to take your time. Maybe you want to read ahead. But there's a very important reason for these things that you're not aware of at this point in the story. Like, why is yeah, most of the population a mutant? Before. Why is Steve old, right? Why is, why are all these things? And, and we get some scenes in the next several pages. What we see is that um, Scott Summers is married to Emma Frost, and he appears to be, you know, having his breakfast, and he's getting a suit tie on. He's about to go work, right? <laughs> and um, you get some daytime TV shows. You get some of these people who we're used to seeing as kind of, you know, famous heroes, members of the X-Men past and one-time members of the X-Men and the Avengers who are just apparently – having these kind of normal lives and they're they talk show hosts Richards dead, right? They're, they're TV actors. Um, you know, some of these people are still superheroes, right? Get this scene of uh, Captain Marvel who used to be called Miss Marvel. Um, oh, is she, she Captain that, again here? Cause I thought she, I think she's Miss Marvel. Yeah. She's in the old yeah. school Miss Marvel, the, the stripper yeah. outfit, which is, you know, um, you get um, Remy, a.k.a. Gambit, right, who's just a thief, right? He's yeah, kind of running she, from the law there. She arrests him. Um, <laughs> Kitty Pride, right, is a school, she's a school teacher. You get That's all of these. That she throws um, Gambit against there? Mm -hmm. a oh, it's, a, it's, it's apparently a statue of a sentinel. 
So anyway, yeah, and these are, that looks like Silver Surfer's kid <laughs> in the classroom. <clears throat> Luke Cage um, is apparently some sort of underground boss somehow. Um, apparently, because right, he's, he's, he's not a mutant. So they consider Correct. him a, a, what do they call him, sapiens. That's a homo sapien, that's right. And then um, there's Sam Wilson, so they have this big uh, yeah. conversation. And what's interesting, you've got most of the Hell's Kitchen crew, the so-called the Defenders, um, this crew that uh, you know includes Luke Cage, Matt Murdock, um, Danny yeah, Bland, Jessica Jones, so um, Shang-Chi present in here? No, I don't think you see Elektra at some point, but you basically have this uh, crew. Um, what's her name? Misty Knights. Um, you know, a lot of these characters that are this kind of Harlem underground um, mm -hmm. present. Um, is it Sam who's a cop? Yeah, Sam's a basically, cop. He's just, yeah, he's a you know police detective. Um, Stephen Strange. Wilson Fisk into a coma. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I feel like, that, you know, if you've Steve, read past this issue, you realize Luke Cage is apparently an important part of this story in that career. Oh, sure. Well, um, I love Stephen Strange that they make a, Stephen Strange a psychologist. Uh, yeah, psychiatrist, right? Or he's a psychologist, isn't he? Not a psychiatrist. Yeah. Um, and so, oh, so... Who's this fella? I'm sorry. I'm jumping up. Because the Luke Cage thing, it's really hard to talk about that without talking about the future issues. Sure. All right. Who's the fellow that, that uh, Stephen Strange is, is helping out here? Oh, good. That is in this issue because I wanted to point this out when you mentioned it earlier. This guy that's talking to um, Robert is talking to Stephen Strange and describes this black wall. Yep. Of, and that very reminiscent of what Spider-Man saw before it went into the world. Yep. And I, I'm not sure we know who this is. Oh, okay. So this isn't someone, but this is someone that's just maybe they're Could seeing through it on their own. It's possible that they're having a memory and that it's possible that Wanda's transformation of the world has left thousands, if not millions of people with some kind of PTSD um, you know, they're really just, kind of telling you once you once you read that part that we know about, which we'll be talking about next week because I think it's in episode three or four. Yeah, you really get to see that all of these scenes kind of explain mm -hmm. uh, are setting that up, like right. everything we see. Yep, and uh, you know we get a scene of it, and, and so yeah, I, again, I don't want to spoil too much here. But essentially what you're seeing is a lot of these, um, you know, mainstay characters in the Marvel universe are apparently happy. Yeah. And they have sort of normal lives, just kind of going about their day. Wolverine, absolutely. He's well, like, wait a minute. No, yeah. this isn't right. <laughs> um, you see, um, Peter, Peter Colossus is, is he's a farmer. Uh-huh. Right. Which yeah. he and his sister, that's, that's always been their background. They grew up on a farm in Russia. And uh, I love the fact that he's, you know, the mutants, obviously they're all still mutants. They have their powers and abilities and Peter's like just pulling this giant combine. Dr. Strange never had his accident. So he never became a sorcerer. Correct. Seems, seems apparent. Now this next bit is yeah, very interesting because this is when we get to see one of the darker sides of this story, which is the fact that this relationship of prejudice and, you know, frankly, racism and this element that has always been a really core tenet of the X-Men, right? Um, it's always been a story about intolerance versus tolerance, about, um, you know, violence versus diplomacy, about acceptance and about trying to you know, get along with people who genetically, culturally, right, socially, people who aren't just like us, right, and trying to find some common ground there. That's Professor X's kind of dream is a world where humans and mutants alike can can share and, and you know, just one brotherhood there. But now you get this scene where things have been flipped upside down. 
And yeah. you see this un- very unfortunate scene where Hank McCoy, the beast, who never did the experiment to try to get rid of his powers and thus turn blue, he's still pink skinned for Caucasian, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. Um, because he never had the, the, the reason or the impetus to try to fix his mutation, which is what turned him blue. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. And he's talking to Hank Pym in a very derogatory and condescending way because apparently in Dr. McCoy, in Hank McCoy's mind, the mutant genome and the mutant mind is superior, right? And don't feel too bad, Hank, because it's not your fault. You're not a mutant, right? It's not your fault that you're just a homo sapien. This is essentially right. the crux, I think, of this conversation. And it's very derogatory, um, very demeaning. And you get a very demoralized Hank Pym just sort of feeling like, you know, probably somewhere in the back of his mind, he's remembering a moment in the past before this, you know, huge change to the world where I was one of the smartest people on the planet. How can you talk mm-hmm. to me that way? Um, so he's uh, judging by the, uh, he's dead, right? Because <clears> he's, he's Ant-Man. It was actually the Scott Lang Ant-Man. Oh, it was that, Scott uh, Lang. So think, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And if you go back to one of the first pages, the conversation where they, they bring all the Avengers together, bring it, this was a period of time where Hank Pym was the Yellow Jacket. Oh. Which again, is one of those kind of plot points that diverges a bit from the comics universe, um, because there was a, a long stretch there where Hank Pym was the hero known as Yellow Jacket. And in the Ant-Man film, you get the, um, uh, oh gosh, Corey, um, what's his name, the actor that played uh, the Yellow Jacket character. Um, I can't remember his name, but uh, he's a villain, right? Obviously, oh, right. in the Ant-Man film. Oh, in the first one. Yeah, that yep. was Yellow Jacket. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, anywho, and... Uh, you get a similar kind of scene with Storm and Janet Tim, right? The Wasp, who has always been a fashion designer. And oh, yeah. uh, Storm appears to kind of throw this tantrum where she just dist- she flares up a whirlwind there inside her <laughs> you know, design studio and just trashes the place. And Janet is just humiliated, right? And then finally, we get this scene where Logan... I love this element of this story because it's it's a little bit like the what I was saying earlier. I feel like there was something about the change before the world changed where Peter, more than anyone, could sort of see it coming because of his spider sense, mm-hmm. right? It is a very poignant scene. And now on you flip that coin over, right? We're looking at it in the opposite direction. Logan is one of the only people that remembers because of his healing power, presumably. And this is very similar to the element in Days of Future Past that allows Logan to go back and to get projected back in time Mm -hmm. to be able to withstand that because his physiology is so freaking resilient. His mind, his nervous system can heal almost as fast as it takes the damage. Also, if you remember from one of the future episodes, it's also he remembers based on the one of the reasons everyone's so happy. It's yep. the thing that that too, but what wakes him up, he's having a nightmare and mm-hmm. he remembers being in the mutant X program. Yep. He has the memory of being in that tank and waking up strapped to all that gear and all the tubes and everything hanging out. That was the little injectors putting the adamantium in a skeleton. He wakes up out of the water screaming and he wakes up in bed and Oh my God, Jean Grey, or someone that looks like Jean Grey, is climbing into bed with me, which immediately, right, his subconscious is still kind of keyed up from this nightmare, and he smells her and realizes that it's not Jean. He's like, what the hell's going on here? And it turns out it's Mystique. Yep. And he has no idea what's happening. And everyone else in the reality is like, what the hell's wrong with Logan, right? Because no one else remembers Right. And he's like, oh, God, he starts running out. And he's got to get some fresh air. And he runs out onto the deck of a helicarrier. Yes. And this crazy futuristic world where I guess those are some sort of weird sentinels flying around. Yeah. And... 
Yeah. And there's this symbol and yeah, so mm-hmm. there's a lot, a lot to dig in in the next couple episodes that we're going to do next week. Yeah, this is great. Thoroughly enjoying this one. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can talk about epi- uh, episode. I'm calling them episodes because the Green Lantern yeah. comics refer to them as seasons and episodes. So it's, mm-hmm. but the next two issues of this, um, this next week. But uh, yeah, Wolverine. It's like I said, we can't really say much until we once we get the two issues, the next two issues, then we'll probably be able to go back and talk about a lot of what happened in this these first two. Yep. Yeah, the reason for all of these things becomes apparent as Logan begins to put some pieces together. He starts to connect some dots. He kind of had a play, has a, a kind of detective um, kind of story arc here where he has to put yeah, a lot of pieces right. together. Um, <laughs> All it's right. a very good, like the next couple issues are a very good Wolverine story. Yeah. It's, it's very, very good. Well, what's, what's very interesting, I'm, I know I'm peeking ahead here a little bit into issue three, but you get like 30 or 40 years worth of Wolverine comics compressed into about two and a half pages. <laughs> yes, I was looking at that You get too. his life story and flashbacks, um, which is great. Yeah, I'm loving right. the art in this. It's really good. But... So that was it for uh, this episode. And everyone bonus, you all get two episodes this week once I splice them all together and upload them. So um, uh, I would say we'll probably do this next week and be back on our regular mix of DC. And actually, there may be even other things to talk about. we got a lot of upcoming things. So we'll, we'll um, get into all Like, that. subscribe, leave comments. If you've got suggestions for more book club in the future after we finish House of M, please do that. Don't drink any super soldier serum because it could turn you into a maniacal freedom fighter. Yes. We don't want any maniacal freedom fighters. (laughs) All right. All right.